Welcome into another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. I am your host, Blythe Brimleave, and since July, I've been planning a road series to conduct interviews with everyone from executives to creators within the logistics industry. It's been a chance for me to move those digital first conversations that I've been doing over the last year and cultivate those lessons learned in the digital first environment to an in-person conversational environment. And the difference between the two has been dramatic. As sort of a peek behind my content creation workflow, I typically over-prepare, like by a lot. But what I quickly learned during this process is that interviews don't need to be as structured when you're sitting face-to-face with someone and simply having a conversation. All of this to say that conversations like what you're about to hear in this episode are as genuine as they come. No questions were off limits and no scripts were read. Just people within the freight world sharing their experiences that hopefully you can pull a little insight from and apply it to your business. Now in this episode, we're talking with the founder of Real Women in Trucking, Desiree Wood. She's been a driver for years and is shining a light on where the industry needs to improve And it's not necessarily in recruiting, but in the retention and training portion of onboarding new truck drivers. She highlights a lot of areas that most in the industry aren't aware of, including myself. And so the more information, the more education we can get out about these issues, hopefully the sooner a lot of them can start getting resolved. This conversation was really powerful, and I hope y'all find as much value in this as I did. Uh, Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Cyberly Hits the Road. Right now, we are chatting with Desiree Wood. She is the president and founder of Real Women in Trucking. And you were just talking about a movie that you have that you're filming or you had filmed. It's it's wrapped now, but it is a movie called Paradise Highway that the screenwriter got in touch with me in 2013 to write the script about a woman truck driver. And then in 2017, she went on a ride along with me. And then we were supposed to start filming in March of 2020, uh, except the pandemic happened. I did take the actress on a ride along as well, so she could get the experience of living on a truck. Uh, But we did actually just film it in Mississippi and just got done uh, just like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. What were some of the, I guess, the the rude awakenings that the, the actress had to learn? That you can't always go to the bathroom at the shippers and receivers and you have to use a pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> so both the screenwriter, um, screenwriter, actress, um, director, she became the director of the film. Um, she had to learn that firsthand and the actress, Juliette Binoche had to learn that backhand and that uh, firsthand. And that is an element of the movie of, um, you know, pulling out the picture and this is how we got to do this because there's no bathroom in here. Uh, Morgan Freeman is also on the film and, uh, Cameron Monaghan, um, and, uh, Frank Grillo. Wow. So, so what is, I guess, the, the, the premise of the movie or the, the, the plot line of the movie? Uh, the movie is about a woman truck driver. I don't want to give too much away, but, uh, the woman is a, tr- a, a truck driver who's got, 
a troubled past, as many of us do. We did not go to charm school. <laughs> um, and her brother is in prison. He's going to be getting out. And she wants hopes that her and her brother can move to Florida and get their life restarted and with a clean slate. And um, it becomes sort of a suspense um, um, element to it when uh, her brother asks her to pick up a package for him as a favor, and the package is a child. Oh, my gosh. So I guess it, it definitely ties in, you know, with the, the organizations like Truckers Against Trafficking. And- yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, um, they were aware of the film, but they didn't really want to be, you know, I mean, it's a difficult topic. And I, I didn't have like a final say of what's in the script and some of the portrayals, but I did consult on some of the things that I could to bring um, an element of truth to it. You know, I didn't, I didn't get to get my way on everything, just full <laughs> full disclosure right now. <laughs> but that, at least that they were open to, you know, the re- receptive feedback and even, you know, I guess going the extra mile, for lack of a better phrase, to to actually put the director and the actress in in a direct experience with being a truck driver. Yeah, they um the 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 director screenwriter Anna Guto is her name. She had the idea for the film when she first got a hold of me and she had been uh listening to our phone conferences on the internet. So we had started these phone conferences that I would make the recording available publicly on her website and she was listening to them. And that's when she got a hold of me and said, "Can I be like a fly in the wall and sit down on some live?" So she started developing characters from what she heard and the camaraderie that we had formed. Um, through these phone conferences so that, you know, often we're passing each other on the highway and we didn't even know it. So it, it has created a unity, um, among us that we have become sisters and, and have each other's back. And there's elements of the phone conferences in the movie, um, and other elements from real women in trucking, like, you know, having each other's back. That's amazing. So you, you've you've really taken a community of drivers that, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, has hasn't really had as much representation within the widespread of the industry, and you're really giving a, a voice to them. And now it's evolved from just conversations online to recorded conversations, and now a movie. Yeah, yeah, and you know the movie is it's a movie. Um, and, and, uh, but I, I was, even when I read the script, um, when I'm like, Hey, this is us, this is our group. Some of it's like, this isn't us. We wouldn't do this, but it's a movie. (laughs) Um, but it is interesting to, cause when I came in this, there was not a lot of camaraderie. There was no unity with the women. And, um, in fact, they were not very supportive of new women entering. So things have changed a lot. And I feel like not only real women in trucking, but she trucking sisterhood and, and other groups like that, where we have actually formed a coalition to help one another through difficult times is changed. You know, that old way when I came in, when you sought help and you were basically stalked online and shouted down so that you would talk about difficult issues is going away now. So I loved seeing that in this movie. 
And I got to meet another lady driver there that I'd never met before who's now coming to Las Vegas who has a school in Mississippi. So that was just like another, you know, silver lining to all of this is the wonderful crew that I worked with that just were like, they were so inspired by a woman truck driver. Every department, they just were swept up by this story. Um, So I think it's going to be um, interesting to see. That's fascinating to you. And I didn't even plan to have this conversation. I was ch- chatting with Desiree Wood, uh, president and founder of Real Women and Trucking. And I, I had no idea about this movie that's being formed. And now as you're, you're diving into to some of the, the specifics that, that women truck drivers go through, talk us through some of those challenges that existed even just a few years ago and how far you, you have come now. Is it, is it really just spreading awareness about these issues? And, and then holding people accountable? Well, I'd like to hold more people accountable. It has been an uphill battle. So essentially, I became a driver in 2007, and I experienced a lot of problems in my training. And uh, I just could not get any help in my company. I joined another organization. I didn't find any support there. In fact, my membership was revoked for talking about the things I was experiencing. Wow. That's what led me to form our own organization by working women drivers. Um, the response when I would talk about sexual misconduct, unsafe training, even as I was learning some of the women in my situation had been sexually assaulted. And then I started learning it wasn't just my company. It was other companies that had the same business model. So there was a pattern that was something that I could not find support in this industry. So I said, I'll go to social media. And it was pretty new. Uh, I went to Twitter, Trucker Desiree, and I just went on there and rant and rave. And I was not trying to follow other truckers or the trucking industry. I was trying to find um, media outside this industry who would listen to me. And it's taken 10 years but I've been internationally recognized. I've been in documentaries about Twitter, about social media. I've been quoted in the Wall Street Journal. And I'm now an expert witness in court cases for women who have been sexually assaulted at some of these fleets and have been identif- been able to identify five or six bad actors that really need to be held accountable. So um in 2019, we presented a petition to the FMCSA to demand immediate action. And that led to a meeting with Jim Mullen um, in person in Washington, D.C. I We stayed in contact with the next administration, Wiley Deck, who gave us an introduction to Mira, Joshi, who is now the acting administrator. So we were invited to the first meeting with the new administration that they had at the beginning of Women's History Month, March 1st. And I was contacted again to sit at the roundtable discussion that was with Secretary Pete and the Department of Labor Secretary Walsh while I was in Mississippi for the movie. And I was um, like, you know, um, Steve Vaselli, the author of the book, Big Rig, called me and he's like, it's going to be on there too. So we, you know, we shared notes and stuff. So it has come a long way. It's given uh, these women hope that we are being heard 
now. Don't, don't shove this under the carpet anymore. It is time to stop making excuses and get something done. And and when you say that it, it really starts at the fleet level, is this more along the lines of they're they're doing improper training or they're not helping when when, it, when women are are crying out and saying that this is an issue and you're and, and they're just ignoring it or it it really is it comes down to training. Well, it comes down first of all to not preparing people who are entering and keep saying over and over we have a driver shortage. We have a driver shortage. We welcome more women. More women are welcome. But what does that mean? You know, what is the point of encouraging more women when they're going to go to a company-sponsored training and get sexually assaulted in a few weeks? What are you doing to prepare them for the fact that they're going to be living on a truck with a total stranger doing team driving, that there's no bathroom in there? They're going to have to get unchanged in there. There's no... Um, they, they don't have any right to know the background of the person that's on the truck with them. So the preparation is the big part. There has to be a clear path to success. Recruiting needs to be tied to a retention point so they can leave a self-insured fleet and go into the open market and get a job at a, at a trucking company that's not self-insured that can take them on. So that's the barrier that makes them, forces them into the self-insured fleets is they're not insurable. They're not a proven driver, but they're rushing them through the training and having them do team driving. When the investigation happens, many of them don't even know what an HR department is, but I have found that a lot of these HR departments are just trying to get them back to work, uh, marginalize their experience. Um, I have found that they don't investigate properly and they don't track uh, complaints against a repeat offender. So a guy or a girl, it is not gender specific, can do sexual misconduct against their trainer or co-driver the the person files a complaint, they don't keep a record. Okay, this person had somebody complain about them this month, and then they went back to the orientation center and got another person on their truck, and now they got another complaint about them, and now they got five against them. But I do see a pattern where maybe they left for whatever reasons and came back, and I have seen some evidence that they may give them a clean slate after a year. So you could leave and come back. You have a clean slate. So it's almost like you're saying you get one free rape a year because of the way that our system is set up. We don't keep track of it. We don't want to track it. And there is consequences to doing things like that. There is one um, additional problem, and that is sometimes if a, if a driver that's committed one of these offenses will go to another company, they're not doing a proper verification of employment. They just want to get rid of the problem. So they don't, they just, you know, whatever they got to do. So in the case of one major fleet where there was a pretty serious sexual assault, the guy was caught at the way station by um, the DOT officers who ran his license. But he was able to leave the place where he committed the offense and go get rehired five miles down the road by another fleet and get a verification of employment and work for nine months until that happened. So 
this entire industry as a whole, it is time that they are accountable and stop trying to say, well, see now in the beginning there was like, oh, there's none of that's happening here. You must be the only one. And, <laughs> and then you go, and then the, now we're at the point where they're like, oh yeah, something's happening, but it's probably at the truck stops or at rest areas. And maybe we have to have um, a gender specific training. There is same sex assaults too. So that is not the solution. The solution is if you have a qualified trainer, they're not only professional in their training to teach you about the equipment, but in their manner and their cohabitating living, you know, professionalism, it is a, it's a, it's a really difficult situation to be in, in a box with somebody that you've never met. I mean, for so long with no supervision, it's just incredibly insane. Not even the military expects that from, from new recruits. And how long are they spending together? When you first go to your orientation, you will spend between 35 and 45 days with just the trainer. But if it's a training company that's got the team business model, it could be six months. So... <laughs> It's like, um, and you often you don't stay with the same trainer for various reasons. They, they're going on home time and you're going to have to sit in a motel. They get a sore throat or they get sick, you know, stuff, all kinds of stuff happens. I've talked to students who came to orientation and they've been sitting in a motel for months waiting for a trainer. Like that's not why you come for a job to go sit in a motel somewhere. Goodness. So are they getting compensated during this time or they're only getting compensated during the times that they're running the truck? Yeah. Sometimes they're giving them like, um, like a, some sort of a, a stipend or something to get through, you know, like $25 a day to, for food in a motel room. But, you know, you're, you're trying to start a new job. You have bills to pay. You have to get your life on. So being sitting in a, a motel for three weeks waiting for another trainer. So we have to have as many trainers as we have students. And you can't just keep bringing people in and bringing people in and then you just put them with anyone. So sometimes they're making somebody a trainer that has only three months of experience. They, they say they're not, but they are. And you run into these drivers on the road. I had one in Nebraska and this young man and he, it was windy. They would shut down the road because it was so windy. And he, he said to me, they made me a trainer and I've got a student on my truck and it was nighttime. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And he said, I was wondering if you think that I should stay here. Is wind dangerous? Cause I've never been up here before. And I'm like, yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> like we're parked because we're not going anywhere and you need to park too. Well, my load needs to be there. Well, you need to tell your company that it's the road shut down. It, it becomes a safety and a liability issue yeah. then at that point. But you know, he, he, he doesn't know. I mean, he's, trying to do what he knows with his limited skill and teach someone else. And now he's in a really dangerous situation seeking help. And there's a lot of people like that out there on the highway. So it's almost like an infrastructure problem where people keep saying, we need more drivers, we need more drivers, but the infrastructure isn't properly established to, to make sure that, that that system trains them properly and gets them on the road properly and then keeps them safe. Is that accurate? Right, right, right. And so the, so the sexual assault is actually just a side effect of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. 
It's just one of those parts of this that's happening because you have a lot of unprofessional people and, and maybe they might be the nicest people of the world, but you're putting people in a really difficult situation and it's stressful. So even somebody that's normally polite is gonna, you know, lose it. Especially in, in, in such close quarters. Yeah. I, mean, I, I just assumed that and this is, you know, what they say about people who assume, but I assumed that just most people who are team driving are husband and wife teams. And so that brings its own sort of dynamic. Yeah. Uh, but if it's a perfect stranger, I could not imagine yeah. sitting next to someone for so long and then getting undressed in front of them, right. and sleeping near them. And, 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 you know, there's a curtain and stuff, but still it's weird. Like you're behind a curtain. And so, you know, they, there's all kinds of little things like they accidentally opened it and, you know, all those little, like, Oh, I didn't know you were in here. Of course. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> of course you didn't. It's so yeah. Oh, it's why don't so you many. sleep on the bottom bunk? I want to be, I want to be um, nice to you cause you're a girl and I'll sleep up on the top. Um, or, or what is it, uh, what is the thing that they do so that they can see either see you climbing up or they can see you when they get down or there's just all kinds of little weird things that go on in the truck you know and he, you just you know you feel it right. your skin's like uh, <laughs> and just, your your internal vibes yeah, are going up like, and, and you're laying in the bed and you're like <sighs> What are they doing down there? <laughs> and I just, I also, another assumption, I just assumed that you wouldn't be sleeping in the truck. You would just get a, you know, a hotel room and you each no. would have your own rooms. And so that's a whole new reality that I, I, I mean, me on the, the marketing side of things had no idea. Well, I think that that's what the important thing is, is that we have to talk about what really goes on in there. There is a lot of assumptions that it's a man and wife. Well, that would be nice if only men and women, the married couples would apply for team driving jobs, but that's not what they do and and they don't target just that they'll take anybody so it's really on you. you the onus is on you to kind of wander around the halls and find another co-driver if you want a paycheck and and that's um, not a way to do this and so that that also leads to to more of the retention issue, which is you know keeping your your, your best drivers. Is is that uh, it? Does it really start and end with the the training and the onboarding of the drivers, or or is it just an all? Is it a full circle effect where there are just gaps every step of the way that prevent women from being more long term truck drivers? Yeah, there there is. I mean, they there are a lot of gaps in this system. I mean, the goal is to get them to be insurable out of a self insured fleet. Then they have lots of different choices. But if they're falling through the cracks through all these different things, the pay didn't turn out the way that they thought it was going to be. They couldn't find a co driver. Um I, I mean, I just talked to a gal right now uh, a couple weeks ago who's been driving many years, never had a problem with harassment before, never really could relate to what I'm saying, but she knows me from Facebook and got a hold of me and told me that she got a new dispatcher, pretty young guy, and he started calling her up wanting to have phone sex with her. And if she didn't do it, he took her loads away. And the other women on the fleet are doing it because they want the loads, Otherwise, they're going to get the bad ones. Um, and she's like, you know, she's like, I'm not going to do it. I mean, there's some other stuff that's gone on I won't talk about. But we have got to go from the top down. Right now, this girl that's got, she's not a girl, she's a woman. Um, she's got several years of experience. And she is a professional driver. And this one youngster has kind of brought it to a screeching halt for her. 
where she's not sure what to do. Um, these things are going on in different capacities, and we have to start dealing with our own industry. It's happening in the world all around us in all these places. But do you notice this this one? They just the like the like touch on the word, you know, and that and that actually makes money for some people. Cause, oh, we're on it. We're doing it over here. Okay, we'll support you, but nothing's really happening down at the worker level. And the people that enter trucking often are leaving a job that is a dead-end job, and they see this as like a way that they could change life for their families, especially single moms. And so uh, how, what are, I guess, the if you could have a, a magic wand and and change the industry and make it more of a, a safe place for for all drivers. Of course, women um, are in that mix as well. What would you do in order to to change what's going on in the industry? You, you mentioned it was top down, and even some of the the you know a new hired dispatcher can have an effect on a woman who's been driving for years. What are what are some of those changes you would like to see? I would like to see a clear path to success for people that are entering trucking so they know exactly what they're getting into from day one and a cap put on recruiting. It has to be tied to retention. If you have turnover in your fleet and you're not producing qualified candidates, you shouldn't be recruiting anymore. If you can't provide a safe trainer for every single recruit that you've hired, then you shouldn't be hiring them. I feel like the FMCSA should put some of these companies on probation and they should not be giving them waivers for letting the trainers sleep while the student is driving. They need supervision the entire time. I would like to see this entire industry denounce and carve the herd out from these bad actors. They know who they are. Um, I was recently an uh, expert witness in a case that was a $5 million landmark settlement for one woman driver against a company that's got hundreds of other cases. Not one word has been written about this case by the trucking media. They completely ignore it. And I know who a lot of these female journalists are, and they will just just not cover it. So the female executives in this industry have got to have some more courage to speak up. And I, I mean, I've, I actually, when I was a student, had a, a woman that was a, she was sort of a, I don't know, on some sort of an image team or something on at my company. And I remember her coming to me and saying about what was happening to me. She said, um, what you're saying is true, but it's better to not say anything at all. Just keep your head down, okay? Like, that was her best advice to me. She wasn't being evil. That was just how, that's just how it's done. Don't rock the boat, Don't right? rock the boat you know, because it's not that you're, it's not that you're saying something that's not true. And she was right. I mean, I started getting retaliated against. That was going to be my next question. I would imagine if, if these, you know, upper executives aren't speaking about it. Why aren't they speaking about it? And then I would imagine that you're, you're getting a lot of pushback and retaliation because of it. When I first started this, I got death threats. I'm not anymore, but I do see some groups monetizing this issue and getting, they're making money off of it. It's the buzzword of the, you know, year. 
you know? So the people that are saying, oh, well, we support women of trucking. Well, what are you supporting? You need to look into this a little bit further, you know, because there are people that are out there being hurt who came into this industry wanting this career. This was their dream and it got taken away from them. And some of them left, crushed, their life changed, and they aren't coming back. Um, that's our fault. We failed. We knew that this problem was going on over 10 years ago. And in several of the last five years, some of us have been led to believe there was some sort of change happening, but it hasn't. It's the same. What what are some of the things that they say they're going to change and then it just remains undone? Is it is it more because they're too difficult to and then they just move on to well, another career? It's cheaper to buy a logo than to actually structurally change everything for one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can speak to that. Yeah. So um, you know, uh training more training costs money. But you don't have, you know, some of these companies have media departments. They could produce situational videos particular to their fleet, just like they do mountain driving and winter driving that show two occupants in the cab. And, and no. And it says, okay, this is the situation. Do you do A, B, or C? And then if you don't pick the right one, you don't go advance to the next question. And you've got to complete this, you know, online quiz before you can get a load. Now, these things exist for mountain driving and, and winter versus winter, summer. You know, you have, you know, you'd have your dispatcher call you and say, you got to go in there and you got to complete this, this and this before I can give you a load. It's part of your training. Okay. But there's nothing about situational videos that's specific to this industry because you're bringing a lot of people in here that have never worked with the other gender. And then they're working so closely with yeah, each other. And now for they're long living. Periods, they're right? living in there with with them. Like some of them, they're like the parents. You ever see that commercial Holiday Inn? Holiday Inn, and they try to get the kid to leave the house. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like some of the people you meet in truck driver training are that kid. The parents don't want him back. They just want him to go get a job. What are they doing back <laughs> yeah, here? Again? Yeah, yeah. Now you're living with them in the truck. You know they don't know how to. You know wash their socks or set their alarm clock and you're in there with them. So there's all kinds of things that you could be doing with these students to get them prepared for what they're about to experience. Unlike the military, you know, they, they tear you down and they build you back up better. The trucking industry training, they just tear you down. So you have to build yourself back up and you're just trying to grab from this and this piece of information and survive it, you know, and, and, and try to be clever as a fox to turn the tables on them because it's just not built for success right now. So that is really, really the really major component. Um, selling lease trucks to the students, that's something I would definitely take out of this. You're either training them or you're selling trucks. You're not doing both. You know, this is your job. You're getting tax incentives and subsidies to train people. So produce a qualified candidate because there are companies that say we really are experiencing a driver shortage, but we only hire people that have two years of experience. Then you need to look at the places that produce truck drivers and say, why aren't you guys producing any qualified candidates? How come you keep saying you're bringing in all these people, a hundred people a week, and nobody's coming out of there a year later? 
So we all have a lot of work to do to look at this system and all of the broken pieces of it and make it a supply chain. Right. Especially thinking of it from a supply chain and looking where you're you're sourcing your materials, aka your employees, and how you're you're continuing to evolve that process because it sounds like there are many gaps still remaining in the system. And while everyone is preaching about a driver shortage and getting more recruits in, it sounds like it's just exacerbating the problems that already exist within the system. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it could be a very lucrative job if you can find your way out of this. Um, there's a lot of solitude on the road. You know, there is a threat to it with autonomous where there's fearful, um, you know, like, should I do this? Because what's going to happen to this in 10 years? Uh, but still there's a lot of people that, you know, this is like such an awesome opportunity to be out there and, do this job, you really feel great about yourself when you the can, things that you see. And mm-hmm. it's just some of those little, the, the things that are hiding in the dark corners are the ones that keep people away from, yeah. from ever coming back and ever telling anyone else yes. to, to join the industry. Exactly. So I, I would, I would say that's probably a safe bet of what you're going to be talking about here at Ignite because I haven't really got a chance to, to, to mention that, but we are here in San Antonio, Texas, um, at the Ignite conference hosted by PCS software. You're, you're one of the, the, the guest speakers that's going to be speaking on it. If you, if you just listen to, um, Desiree give this amazing talk on everything that's going on within the industry that really I, I haven't heard. You're really one of the only people that I've heard talking about this. And it's kind of shocking that more. <laughs> Or companies aren't I talking know. about this. It's, it's so uh, oh, it's kind goodness. of heresy what I've mm. been saying, you know. And so this is really a great opportunity for truck drivers to be heard. These words were said to Secretary Pete, and he heard them. And the FMCSA has been hand delivered these words in writing three times now, and they have heard them. What kind of changes or progress have you seen being made on the, on the government side of things? Um, I in that uh, meeting we talked about this registered apprenticeship program. I think this could really be something that could lead to change if if we could, you know take some of the things that I'm saying and what's already there in this registered apprenticeship program and implement them together. Um, there's just got to be more accountability. You can't just keep saying we want government money to recruit and then you got nothing. So, uh, the registered apprenticeship program that they spoke about in that, uh, meeting, they've got the nuts and bolts of a really good system, but so far they don't have a lot of people in, trucking the trucking sector per in participation so it sounds like that next step needs to be the the, the bigger trucking companies partnering with this legislation and mm-hmm. then implementing it and doing the hard work and of, doing of the, the hard training work. and the reassessing every part of how they hire and train and onboard a driver right there there are some smaller companies that are doing training the right way but they're far and few between and not all the drivers have access to them mm-hmm. but but it, there's got to be a standard you know and and that's what we don't have so it's all over the map would you say that there there is light at the end of the tunnel i hope so i hope so um we just got to keep, I mean, it takes more than a few of us to start saying these things, you know, and, and like I said, what I'm saying was kind of really heresy 10 years ago. But when I was in that meeting, I would say over half of the people 
their presentation had elements of what I'm saying right now in their presentation, scholars, as well as some of the other um, organization um, leaders, some not, um, you know, they still want to go with that old narrative. Uh, so I do think nothing's that, broke if I don't look in that direction. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, goodness. I, I mean, I, I appreciate your perspective and, and, and shining a light on this. It's, it's really, I, I don't want to say remarkable. It's not remarkable, you know, what's going on, but it, to, to see your, your growth come from the blogging world into social media, into, you know, content that you're, you're, you're creating amongst other women drivers. And now you're, it, it's in movies, you're, you're meeting with different levels of government. It's really impressive how, you know, essentially a one woman show is really bringing awareness to something that really should be, should be talked about more often. Appreciate your time t- today, Desiree. Where can people follow more of your work and, and, and the causes that, that you're here to promote? I'm on Twitter is Trucker Desiree. I haven't been tweeting too much lately. Um, our Facebook is uh, Real Women in Trucking. That's our like page. And then our website is the same, Real Women in Trucking. And on Twitter, the organization is at Women Truckers. That's what our Instagram and our, our Twitter is there. Well, appreciate so much of your time. We'll, we'll link to all of those different platforms within the show notes. So hopefully people can follow and, and continue to raise awareness um, for these causes that affects so many aspects of the industry and the supply chain overall. So, so thank you again for your time. Yes, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. As always, you can find each show I publish along with more insight over on my website, digitaldispatch.io. If you like this podcast, then I think you'll love another show that I host, Cyberly, which covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, tech, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. That show airs every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on FreightWaves TV. There are also some links to my social media accounts along with my products and services that might be of interest to you. You can find them in the show notes or again over on my website at digitaldispatch.io. If you found this episode interesting and or entertaining, be sure to share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing and since podcast discoverability has and remains an issue in this medium, I trust and rely on folks like yourself that will share it with those who would also find it useful. Until next time, my name is Blythe Bramley, and I will see you real soon.